so this, this whole thing about, you know, we're not alone. <clears throat> I, I'm listening to that and thinking about it. Uh, my son's been serving at a church in Dallas for the past several years, and uh, Andrew Forrest, who is the uh, senior pastor at that church, has this thing he does where he, he says, you know, we are the most connected generation, and we are the most isolated uh, generation. Uh, because we all have our phones, right? You all have your phones. I almost got run over yesterday, lady on her phone driving, yeah, and uh, so she's looking at her phone and almost runs over me, uh, and, and we had a wreck in front of our house yesterday afternoon, guy on his phone, didn't see the other guy backing out of his driveway and drove into the side of his car, uh, right? So we're, we're connected, we're on our phones all the time, but we're, we're not really connected face-to-face, uh, and, and they're not the same. I know we like to think they are, but they're really not. And all, all the research that's coming out right now tells us that, that a person's sense of well-being and happiness is directly proportional inversely to the amount of time they spend on their phone. You hear that? In other words, the more time you spend on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all that, the more unhappy and the more isolated you will feel. And so I, I want to play with that a little bit this morning because this whole thing about being alone is kind of a big deal. Uh, I did a little research. I went back and looked at a couple of things. So uh, this is a 2016 Harris poll that was done, which says that 72% of Americans say they feel lonely at times. 34, a third, feel lonely, intensely lonely, at least once a week. This is in spite of all of our connection and all of our media and everything. And this was uh, from a 2014 survey that was done that said that 35% of men, their biggest fear is ending up alone in life, and 40% of women, their biggest fear is ending up alone in life. Uh, we, we have an intense fear of being alone and being loneliness and coming to those moments in life when, when no one is there. And, and I can tell you over the years that having spoken to different people, that I, I've heard that voiced over and over and over and over. Um, many, many, many years ago, when we walked with my friend John, who was in my uh, small group in Corpus, my Emmaus reunion group for years, and we walked with him as he, uh, through the period of time when he died from AIDS. Um, his family walked away from him in that time, and so uh, we became his uh, adjunct, ad hoc family as we moved through that, and different ones of us did different uh, things. Uh, I was his drug runner. I was the designated person that went to the pharmacy to pick up his stuff that you used to have to sign a triplicate for and bring it over to the house when he got to that point. But we walked with him through that when, as he became increasingly debilitated with it uh, and uh, even to the point of you know, cleaning things up and cleaning him up and, and cooking and bringing food to the house and doing all of that as he went through that period of dying. Um, and... and not long before he died, um, we were all there one evening, and he called us into the room and, and thanked us for being there. And he said, my biggest fear has been that I would die alone. And that was so powerful um, for us just to be able to, to be there with him in that time. My biggest fear. And, and a lot of us live with that. Now, now the reverse of that or the, the other side of that is, for a lot of us, our biggest fear is that we're not alone. <laughs> right? This is, this is a movie flyer uh, from a movie. Uh, that's, that's the biggest fear is that we're, we're, we're not alone. That there's someone there that should not be there. You know, all, there's a whole genre of movies about that, right? You know, the people that call from somewhere inside the house right? 
those movies, right? The, and, and, and parents, how many of you have ever had to be, uh, when your kids were little, you had to look under the bed? Anybody look under the bed? Anybody have to open the closet doors, right? Or, or, or you hear something, oh, I heard something, I heard something, and you have to get the flashlight and go show them there's nothing there, right? We've all, y'all, y'all done that? I mean, I, I love it. Uh, you know, we have that intense kind of fear that we're not alone when we should be alone. Uh, when Forrest was in high school, he and a bunch of his buddies went and saw Paranormal Activity. Anybody see that one? Yeah, they went and saw it. Now, we're talking big boys. We're talking six foot plus, 200 pound plus boys. There's a group of them in the go. Picture a half ton of young men, literally. <laughs> A half ton of young men go to this movie, and they are petrified. They are terrified when they come out, such that they go door to door, and they, and they sit and make sure that their buddies get in the house before they drive off to the next one to drop it off. Forrest was driving them that night. He's the last one to get home. He comes into our bedroom, and he's telling us all about it. He's terrified. This is, oh, my God, oh, going on. I'm going, it's a movie. And you go, oh, no, no, this was real, Dad. This is like a documentary. I'm going, no, it's not. It's a movie. He's all freaked out. He goes to bed, and the power goes out. <laughs> ah, he's in our bedroom. <laughs> so I give him a, a battery-powered lantern. That goes, dies. I give him my flashlight, and I said, here, use this and everything. And, and so finally, I can hear him in there. They're all on their cell phones. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. The, the power's out, oh, it's on, and, and I'm going, oh, geez, guys, it's a movie, and, and so finally the power comes back on and everything. He moves to Corpus to go to college a couple of years after that, and Paranormal Activity 2 comes out. <laughs> I said, you can't go see it, because I'm not there. You can't go see it. There's no one there to lend you a flashlight, so don't go and see it. And, and what was great was a couple of years after that, there was an article that came out about how they made the movie and everything. So I had to send it to him. And I said, I told you it was a movie, right? <laughs> I love those I told you so moments, you know. But, but that, that fear, you know, we're not alone when we should be. Arthur Clarke, the great science fiction writer, uh, has a wonderful quote that he uh, used. He said, two possibilities exist. Either we are alone in the universe or we are not. Both are equally terrifying or are they or are they really let's pray oh lord may the words of my mouth may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you alone are our rock and our redeemer amen so so i'm going to go into scripture here a little bit and just kind of lift up a few things about being alone and not being alone. I mean, one, this fear of, of being alone is, is certainly something that reflects and, and runs through all of our lives and, and is reflected in Scripture. Matter of fact, one of the pieces we read and, uh, from, uh, that Jesus quotes when he's on the cross and he's dying comes from the 22nd Psalm. Notice this is the Psalm right before the 23rd Psalm. The 22nd Psalm is a song of abandonment. And right toward the end of it, there's a note of victory that then leads into this affirmation of the 23rd psalm so if you've never done that sometime just just go back and read starting with 22 1 and read through the end of the 23rd psalm and see how those hold together but it starts off by saying my god my god why have you forsaken me the words that that jesus quotes when he's hanging on the cross why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning 
Um, and, and every time we read that, you know, on the, on the, the Good Friday service, the, the service of darkness that night, and we read through it, you know, our hearts kind of break with that sense of being abandoned because all of us at one time or another have felt this. Um, whether you're my friend John going through that period of time with AIDS or, or, or whether you're, you know, in a room with someone that's dying or whether uh, you've just had a marriage that's broken up, uh, whether you've lost a job, whether your finances are going down, whatever it is, all of us have been in a place at some point in time where we've said, okay, God, like, where are you? I mean, we went through the winter of 98 and 99, and as we went through that winter, uh, we went through uh, the death of my wife's grandmother. Uh, we went through a 500-year flood, uh, which devastated our community. Uh, we had 65 families in our church that instantly uh, lost their homes. Um, we went through the death of her mother just a few weeks after her grandmother, and then a few months later, we went through the death of her father. And a, and a friend of mine was coming through town and stopped and said, how are y'all holding up? How are y'all doing this? And I said, we're, we're holding up. And he said, well, how are you getting through this? And I said, we get up every morning and, and just pray that God will hold us through the day. You know, it's one of those periods of time when you're just thinking, okay, God, what else are you going to do? I mean, you know, bring it, right? I mean, what else can go wrong? And so we, we all kind of know what that's like to be in that place of saying, where are you? Where are you? And why aren't you here? We all know what that feels like. And, and part of the reason we, we feel that so intensely is we are not created to be alone, right? The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. It's not good. Wives, you're free to chime in on that and say, well, yeah, I mean, you know, you sure don't want to leave the men alone. God, we don't know what they'll do. Uh, I will make him a helper as his partner. I mean, the sense that comes out of the Genesis, the creation story, uh, in the first story, you know, we're, we're made. God says, you know, he, God creates us, male and female, God created them, and he called it good. And then in the second story, he affirms, you know, he, he makes the man, he says, oh, man, it's just not good for this guy to be alone. I'm going to make him a partner. Now, we can laugh about that, make jokes about it, but there's, a, there's this understanding in Scripture that we're made to be in relationship. We're made to be in community with one another. We're created this way. It's part of who we are. We don't do well by ourselves. As a matter of fact, that's uh, one of the, the big warning signs uh, in the, the social services kind of deal is when people get isolated, uh, that's generally when bad things will happen. Uh, and whether it's a, a, a suicide or whether it's a homicide or whatever, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a prime indicator that something bad is going on. Uh, we're not made to be alone. We're made to be in community. We're made to be connected with each other. This is why when uh, John Wesley was starting the Methodist movement, he talked about coming together in small groups, and, and then they were called class meetings and band meetings. And he said, you, you have to do that. Matter of fact, if you were in an early Methodist uh, gathering, uh, before you could come to worship, you had to go to your small group meeting because it was in your class meeting and your band meeting that you got the ticket that allowed you to go to worship. And if you didn't go to your meeting that week, you didn't get to go to worship that week. He was that insistent upon it. Made a comment, he said, there's no such thing as personal holiness without social holiness. And when he says social holiness, Wesley's not talking about social activism or social justice or any of that. What he means is you can't be close to God unless you're in a group and you're close to each other. Because we're made to be in relationship, and we need that connection with God and with one another. That's why when Jesus quotes, you know, he said, the great commission, you know, the great commandment, you know, love God with all you are and all you have and, and love each other. 
as you love yourself. I mean, it's that, that connection. We're built to be that way. God created us with that. And God tells us then that he's going to hold us together in that way. And he's going to be in relationship with us. I mean, you read through scripture, right? Be strong, courageous. Don't be frightened or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and bold. Have no fear or dread of them. Because it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his faithful ones. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I mean, this promise that God makes that no matter what it is, God's going to be with us. even when we begin to think, oh, you, you've left us, the truth of the matter is God's made that promise. Even though you may forget me, <laughs> I will not forget you. You can walk away from me, but I'm not going to walk away from you. There's this promise of steadfastness on the part of God. And if you've ever read um, through the Gospel of Matthew, there's this kind of bracketing there around this whole great commandment kind of thing where, where it begins with Matthew 1. You know, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God's with us. And then as he begins his ministry, the first thing Jesus does in Matthew 4 is he calls, starts calling together the disciples, right? As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's not by accident that the first thing Jesus does when he begins his ministry is call together this group of disciples, I keep telling folks, you know, if Jesus needed to gather folks around him, you know, what makes us think we can do without that? Why do we think we can go it alone when even Jesus didn't go it alone? And it's interesting to me that you start the Gospel of Matthew with that, you know, Emmanuel, God is with us. And then at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when he's giving them the Great Commission, he says, uh, I'm going to send you out. And he says, uh, you're going to go and make disciples of all the world and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, it starts off with this, you know, God's going to be with you. And it ends with that commitment on Christ. I'm with you always. Until everything ends, I am with you. This promise from God himself to us that he's going to be with us. In John's gospel, Jesus makes the promise with the Holy Spirit. I'll ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. And that advocate's name is the Holy Spirit. And when you read the book of Revelation, at the end of all of Scripture, you have that passage. You know, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. I mean, there's this promise that says, you know, God's with us. I mean, e- even in those moments when we don't recognize it, even in those moments when, when we don't think he's there, God is committed to be with us. I will never forsake you. I will never forget you. We're always called to be in that understanding. And, and we have this gathering around us of those other believers who are there to hold us up to hold us accountable for when we stray off the path, but, but, but also to remind us in those times when we're feeling like no one's there to remind us that God is still with us. There's this constant kind of promise that comes to us that God has not given up on us. 
And God's with us even in the most difficult of moments. When Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and sometimes when we read through some of these kinds of passages that Paul writes or somebody, we, we kind of tend to discount, well, you know, it was the Apostle Paul, of course he said that, but, but take all that out of your brain for a minute, get rid of that for a minute, and remember who Paul is. Paul starts off as the, the persecutor of the early church. When we first meet him, and he's Saul of Tarsus, he, he's hunting down the Christian communities. He's gathering Christians and having them arrested. He's seen that they get put in prison or that they get stoned to death. He's holding everybody's robes. All the people that come to stone Stephen to death, Paul's the one that's holding their robes while they throw the rocks. That's who he is. And we meet him as he's getting ready to go to Damascus, and, and the word scripture is he's breathing threats. He's in hatred against the early Christians. He's breathing it. It's part of who he is. And God grabs hold of him and shakes him. Throws him to the ground, blinds him, and then lifts him up. And when Saul says, well, who, who, who is this? God says, well, this is Jesus talking to you, the, the one you've been persecuting. And then he sends them to the Christian community. Yeah, go over there, that group of Christians. Saul goes, are you kidding? He says, no, 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 go over there. And, and he goes and he talks to them too. He says, listen, I want you to receive this guy when he shows up. And they go, Saul? You want us to take in Saul? Yeah, yeah, I want you to take in Saul. And he comes into this community of people who care for him. And his sight comes back. And when the people of the city become angry with him, they help him to escape. And all of a sudden he discovers that this group of people that he's been persecuting are the folks that love him the most. And he begins to walk this path of, of faith and strength that, that goes through the rest of his life. I mean, the man is going to be arrested. He's going to be put in prison. He's going to be beaten. And even, even from the place of his imprisonment, waiting his death, he is going to write words of encouragement to the churches. So when you, when you read these words from Paul, don't go, oh, yeah, that's the Apostle Paul. You think, oh, man, listen, if anybody had a reason to say... Uh, God's let go of me, it would be Paul. After everything he'd been through, sitting in the prison, waiting to die, right? He writes words like these. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Well, hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. And you need to hear that he's experienced all those things. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear that? Nor anything else. Not any powers above the earth or below the earth. Not anything in the past or in the future or in the present. No power is great enough to take us away from God. No event is great enough to separate us. Even when we die, we are still connected to the love of God. 
mean, this powerful affirmation that flows out of his heart and from his lips and through his pen, even as he's waiting his own death. God is with us. We're not alone. We don't don't have anything to be afraid of. There's no boogeyman under the bed or in the closet. Paranormal activity is a movie. God has promised to be with us. And even in those moments when we're having the hard times, God sends people to be around us. God sent us to walk with John while he died from AIDS. God sent my brothers and sisters to Seguin when we went through that winter to come and say, we've not forgotten you. And my brothers and sisters, (laughs) look around the room this morning. Here's the family of Christ. God has sent them to be with you. We are not alone. As the great affirmation that we use uh, often says, in life and in death and in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty Father, Even in those times when we are walking through (laughs) hardship and distress and darkness, you are still with us. Even when our eyes can't see you, (laughs) we know that your eye is still upon us. Even in those times when we turn our back to you, you do not turn your back upon us. Even in those times when we forget about you, you do not forget about us. Father, gather us up. Hold us in your arms. Gather around us the brothers and sisters who are there to be the the tangible signs and expression of your love and your faithfulness for us so that in those moments when we are weak and our spirits are weak, their spirits are strong enough. In those moments when we cannot have faith, they can have faith for us. For in them and in your spirit with us, you bring the light into the darkness that we walk through. You bring hope into our despair. You restore our hearts and our spirits. You remind us that you have made us, you have made us to be connected to one another and to you. And that never, never do you forget your children or forsake them. Father, hear us. For we proclaim that in life, in death, And life beyond death, you are with us. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.